This week on Red Dead Radio, two's company. Three's a party. Aw, it's a party. Right? Hi, friends. Welcome to Red Dead Radio, the Red Dead Redemption podcast. I'm your host, Jared Petty. And as frequent as often, we are joined yet again by this here wild, wild guest. We go in straight to the wild, wild guest. We go in straight to the wild, wild guest. Yeah! Hello. Uh, hello, indeed. Cisco <laughs> still sang for you. Aw. Thank you, Cisco. Thank you, indeed. Thank if, you always, Cisco. Hey, friends. Welcome to Red Dead Radio. We're going to talk about Red Dead Redemption because uh, it's a video game. It that, is. Uh, that and we we're, we're eking ever closer to it. Exactly. I, that, that late October release date creeping in. And last week, we got this yeah. wonderful, wonderful gameplay drop. We talked a lot about that on the last episode, uh, but there was so much to talk about. We didn't really get to everything. Oh, man. There was so, so much in that six minutes. Yeah. So before we hop into that, let you know that Gary Witta will magically appear in the second half of the show. We filmed his uh, personal interview. Uh, Gary Witta, writer of Star Wars Rogue One, lots of other amazing things. will be in here talking about Red Dead westerns in general a little later on but first john and i are gonna go we're just gonna bring it down a little bit bring it bring it down nice and slow exactly talk just a little bit about little red dead radio a little smooth jazz yeah there that's it right is. Ooh, quiet storm the dulcet tones Ooh, of yeah. cowboys mm-hmm. that's right oh i like that dulcet tones of cowboys that's my second ep for my western thrash jazz band what's your what's your first ep i ride my horse alone <laughs> Sounds like a Ben Folds album. I know it's uh, terrible, and I hate it, and myself for saying all those horrible things. All right, so John, uh, let's let's look at a couple of things that we really didn't get to spend a lot of time on. For sure. Last week, first, I, I think we kind of glossed over the vast importance of the interaction system and the ability that, yeah. for the first time, to make choices in a more explicit way. Red Dead's always been about choices, Rockstar games in general, because they're open world games around freedom and largely built around kind of this emergent gameplay situation. Yep. But now we see the ability contextually to make overt command-driven decisions for how we're going to interact with other characters. Yeah. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, I don't don't necessarily know if we'll see that sort of uh, decision-making in the... In the, like the main story, um, I would honestly be a little surprised if we do. Um, I think it'll be some time before Rockstar goes full RPG. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, looking at what we can do with everybody else, all of the other characters that we have the option to interact with and meet, and all those relationships that we can forge on our own, there are so, 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 so many opportunities Uh to create your own your own identity and and you know to say it's not a role playing game is you know it's still technically it may not be billed as an RPG but you are still inhabiting Arthur and your Arthur is going to be very different from mine as we've mm-hmm. said countless times on this show before right because those interactions those little tiny ways that you discuss things with people that you if you know the horseman on the road who you choose to be more aggressive towards than I do or the lawman who. You know, I will choose to talk my way out of situations with, whereas you may try and gun him down. Those choices will make our Arthurs very different people Um, and make the story that we experience from Rockstar, the one that they've written, be contextually very, very different for each of us. Now, when we we've always had choices to a point. 
for yes. example, you know, I could choose when when two guys were running by me and they're being chased by lawmen and they're sitting there going, yeah. you know, stop those guys. I could choose to hog tie the guys running away. Yep. I could choose to gun them down. Yep. I could choose to ignore the situation. I could choose to gun down the lawmen and take you their could. cash. You could do that uh, and then I be could immediately arrested to or kill tried to. All four of them. I you could, could burn down them. the entire town. Exactly. Um, so I have always had a degree of choice. What do you what do you feel about it becoming more explicit. You you do see a context like, when you pop up. I like the fact that my my choice is not defined by a gun. Okay. In this. I think that's it's 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 something that I've been kind of wanting to see Rockstar sort of lean into a little bit more for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Um, we got it a little bit in uh, GTA five, like if you run into a pedestrian on, on the street and they say something to you, you have the option to reply to them in either a positive or a negative way. Mm-hmm. But there's really not much beyond the fact that if you just keep spamming that one button, they may eventually punch you. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then that's a pretty rare occurrence. Like it's very much just a passing interaction and that's it. Here's the op- opportunity to form real relationships with almost everybody in the game world, even if it's very fleeting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we know that the uh, what I'll call like base level NPCs. So, like the guy that you saw riding on the road, uh, who you pass on your horse in the in the gameplay video that came out. Um, you know, maybe somebody who you see getting off a train or just passing by on the street. Um, it's unlikely that you'll be able to form, you know, super like in depth, meaningful—not meaningful, but or I shouldn't say that they won't be meaningful. But you probably won't be able to form really complex relationships with them. Mm -hmm. Um, But that said, all of those NPCs have their own personality type. They are not just a one or a zero saying, I'm cool with this person, I'm mad at this person. You know, uh, depending on how you choose to interact with them, they will be either, you know, frightened or a little bit more aggro against you. Or maybe they'll be more prone to diplomacy and say, you know, hey, friend, we can probably talk this out. Mm -hmm. Um, And seeing that, even at just like the lowest level of NPC that you could possibly run into, aside from like, you know, a dog, um, is fascinating to me. Uh, because I'm very much someone who goes and gets lost in worlds when I when I play. Well, you mentioned fun. a dog. I mean, obviously, petting the dog is always the right answer. Oh, okay. yes. Yeah. No, nothing more bad will happen to any dog on my watch <laughs> in my games, ever. I do. I well, The way we have choices to interact with, with other characters in games is something I think about constantly. It's one of my very favorite things in, in a video game is when I'm given even that tiny illusion of being able to interact in something besides exploitation mm-hmm. or violence. Yeah. Uh, I, I think a lot about, you know, when I was a kid, I, I used to walk around the little RPG towns and I talked to every person. I didn't just talk to them because I might have useful information. I talked to them because... They're interesting. You want to get to know who they are. Yeah. I mean, sometimes they're like, wow, we've got lots of we've got lots of dragons around right now and those yeah. are very bad. You should probably go to Mount Dragon and kill that dragon. Exactly. But every now and then it'd just be like, I'm a dancer, whoopee, or something. And the, right. You and, you find, but, and you find that like mid-level NPC who's yeah. like not... Oh, it's you. Welcome to Whiterun. You should go and join the yeah. city guard. Or the Jarl's been looking for you. Exactly. You'll find the one who's just like, oh, I had an arrow get shot in the knee with it. Or I'm part of the Thieves Guild. You should join us. And I like that degree of interaction, so I'd seek them out. But beyond that, that kind of uh, superfluous, just pre-programmed level that, that's very transparent, 
I like when developers choose to put features into games just because they make themes seem a little more tactile or real. Uh, yeah. My favorite example of this uh, of all time is WayForward's remake of A Boy and His Blob, um, which is a beautiful, beautiful 2D hand-drawn-looking side-scrolling side uh, puzzle platform. Mm. You're the boy, and you have a blob. And I kind of figured that part. The game has a hug button. Aww. A dedicated hug button. And whenever you want to, you can walk up to the blob and just be like, mm, and hug him, and the blob will get all happy because you hugged him. It has no gameplay effect whatsoever. It, it's just a hug for a blob. It's just a it. hug when you feel good. Can I hug anybody hug else? Blob. No, just the blob. Um, I mean, I suppose consent's important, so that's good. It's a part of a discarded mechanic. Uh, hmm. The game originally had a mechanic where you would, uh, you the blob would sometimes you could upset him and the hug was supposed to make him feel better, but the upsetting the blob mechanic wasn't fun, so they took it out and left the hug. Interesting. It's still one of the most memorable things I've ever. I had a video game with a hug button. When I get a chance to take a world that is distinctively investing. And just have a little more fidelity added in. Again, those yeah. little details. I tend to be really, really taken with it. So this for me makes a lot of sense. I don't think I want uh, Red Dead Redemption to be an RPG. No. In the traditional D&D number sense or even in the no. action no, no, RPG no, 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 no. Witcher sense. I, I mean, that's the thing. But, I, don't want to, I don't want to have to worry about what ending I get or uh, whether or not I, uh, you know... What happens when I burn that town to the ground? If I, if I, you know, will I regret Nuketown, basically? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily know if I want. I think it would be seeing Rockstar make a full open world, multi-branch narrative RPG would be a fascinating game. But it's not the one that I think I want or need right now. Mm -hmm. Um Mostly just, I don't think I want it. I just want Red Dead. I just want to play Red Dead. I want it. Can I have it, please? But that's the, taking what you said there. So you say you don't want to worry about multiple innings. But the one time I really remember Rockstar doubling down on something like this, ironically, was yeah. a game ending. So in GTA V, while you make jillions of choices in the course of your individual playthrough. Oh, yeah. Your only really overt kind of menu-driven choices that you reach in the game that I recall are the ones in the very last well, mission. Well, I mean, there are the heist options. Yeah, of course, but, there's always the heist but options. But those yes. don't necessarily affect the overall arc of the narrative. Those affect that individual thing quite a bit, but then they right. don't reverberate through the narrative exactly. very much. Whereupon the final mission, you can choose to engage several different ways, and it does give you three different endings yes. to, to that um, game. I'm just going to say, I don't know what we're going to talk about in the next few minutes, but I'm just going to say spoiler alert just in case you haven't finished GTA Five because yeah. I made a video about four and a half years ago uh, that made some people very upset with me. Was that because you talked about the end of it? I talked about the end of it even though it was like a year after the game had come out, Yeah, um, and I just still feel bad about it to this day. Oh. Um, it was it was the one where I teach you how to make $2.1 billion. Uh, so if you are happening to still be playing Grand Theft Auto V uh, and have just done Lester's first assassination mission, hop over to IGN. Go make some money. you're going to go make a shitload of money. But you're also going to find out how the game ends. Yeah, so sorry <laughs> about that. Um, All right, that said, I, I, I always kind of assumed that they stuck that one big choice at the end because that way you didn't have to particularly live with too many consequences story-wise afterward. It's a lot of, you change one thing in an open world game narrative. 
Yeah. And the iterations you create. I mean, it's a butterfly effect on, on a drastic mathematical scale. Yeah, it's, it is horrifying. Like when I think about, you know, if I'm, if I'm running or even playing in a tabletop RPG, when I think about all of the things that we do and then like sort of relay that into video game territory where it's like, oh God, seeing someone have to like program, like what if I do try and throw the chamber pot at the guard? Mm -hmm. What happens then? Is that an option? If it is, what other options do I have? Yeah. Um, and how... In a, in a long form sense, that can change things is mind boggling. Okay. Um, like, I mean, I think of the, the Witcher 3, I think, is a perfect example. Um, you know, just when, when you finish that first uh, Velen main quest chunk, it's like you, you know, depending on how you did it, and if, I'm not going to say anything because if you haven't played it, you should. It's a great game. Um, you know that after that moment, you will have irrevocable effects. On the world, yeah, um, and I don't, I don't know how I feel about that in the world of Red Dead. Well, I mean, it, it, I wonder how localized it'll be. We did see situations, you know, got a guy hanging off a cliff, yeah, like live or die. Well, that's going to, at the very least, affect that moment. But they've emphasized again and again and again that the people in this world have persistent schedules and lives and yeah. and if he has a relationship with somebody does that does that branch out and does that, that come back 20 hours later to right. bite you in the butt and even and even even if it's not necessarily you know narrative moments narrative blips like my my question is like even in just the way that the world lives and exists like mm -hmm. if if i turn into a full on sociopath and murder a whole town full of people does that then become a ghost town? Do new people move in? Mm -hmm. Do settlers arrive from right. out east and repopulate the place? Exactly. Or, yeah, right. I don't know. Either. Or do I go to sleep and when I wake up, there are just people back. So, I mean, one of the things that we were sort of talking about was in that sense when I was at Rockstar back in spring, there's the notion of it's, it's a world wherein you inhabit it. They want you to live there but it's still their world. Mm -hmm. Like they want to handcraft it because they want it to be as beautiful and engaging as they can possibly make it. And, you know, to that end, you can't necessarily, like I couldn't like burn down a forest mm -hmm. because that would mean that that was fundamentally changing everything that they had built. And then they would have to figure out new systems to make that work, which right. would then take away from all the little details and all the little things that make it so uh, immersive yeah that's place. more of a breath of a wild approach to open world design right. and I, i'm not kidding like that, they tended to focus on how you interact with your your natural environment yeah. or your your what, what we might think of otherwise as a kind of a passive element uh, becoming yeah. more active whereupon this appears to be a game more about the active element standing out in amazing ways against a beautiful background exactly and and the people who inhabit it reacting to you yeah um and i, I mean honestly like that to me is the most important part like Sure, there's part of me that loves the good physics playground of games like, mm -hmm. you know, Red Faction or Just Cause, where I'm like, oh, I can explode this to hell. Fucking great. Let's go do <laughs> I that. I love you brought up Red Faction, yeah. Oh, I well, I did the review for Red Faction Remars. Turd. Which um, is... The stupidest fucking the name. The best name ever. No. Yeah. No. Oh, man. THQ, I love that you guys remastered that game because it's great. Um, it's a good remaster. It is a still a wonderful game. Yeah. Uh, and the, the, the still the gold standard of environmental destruction in any video game that I've played so far. Um, because you can literally knock down anything. Like I love games like that. But I would much rather have a world that lets me 
interact with the people who live there, which are by and large far more interesting than whether or not I can knock down a building, uh, on the level that it looks like we'll be able to in Red Dead 2, as opposed to taking a hatchet and chopping down, you know, parts of the saloon. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I really, honestly, even though you're making a, an excellent point here, I can't get past John Marston of the Red Planet now and how I just want a Red Dead on that's Mars again. That's going to be the Undead Nightmare for Red Dead 2. It's going to be the wacky, uh, non-canon, canon yeah. uh, bizarro game. It's just going to be John Mars. John, John Marston of Mars. John mm-hmm. Marston of Neodium P36 Space Modulator. Oh, man. If it was just John Marston in the Looney Tunes universe... I'd be okay with that. I would, but it would get so old so fast. Like, how many times can Bugs Bunny go, Yeah, what's up, Doc? And then immediately get shot in the face before it's not funny anymore. I mean, my my pitch, my open-world game that'll never get made because the licensing would be impossible and it would cost hundreds of... Space Jam? No, no, I want want Toontown. I want to make a Toontown game, a game that could never be made. Uh, I want to take the Roger Rabbit Toontown... Yep. And build an open world game with those characters in that universe. I mean, here's a question. Would you play as Eddie Valentine? Or, uh, or would you play as Roger Rabbit? Okay. Or? So, so uh, Eddie Valiant, my friend. Eddie Valiant. Eddie Valiant that's right. I'm that's sorry. Right. I'm terribly sorry. Bob Hoskins, may you rest in peace. You deserve yeah. better than my memory. I love that movie. It's a great movie. Yeah. I adore it. I adore it because it's one of those movies that reminds me just what a wonderful actor Bob Hoskins is. He's great. He's phenomenal. I think we've had this conversation before. Probably I don't know if we've on had here. it on this All show. right. We're going to stop here with Toontown. Um, number two. We're moving on. Uh, we want to talk a little bit about the things that, that we saw from this trailer that indicate ways that Rockstar may be improving on Red Dead Redemption. So, uh, believe it or not, as much as we like Red Dead, there are plenty of things not to be so crazy about from the original Red no. Dead Redemption. As revolutionary as it was, it's an You're, eight-year-old game where it in retrospect it, it we can see age. some room for improvement. Of Imagine that. Rockstar is going to be more aware of that than anyone. There's no one more critical oh, of, of a video game's flaws, shortcomings, right. supposed shortcomings than the, than people, the people who made it. it. We've exactly. learned that in this industry working yeah. for a long time. So what I'm going to ask you, John, is based on what you saw in this trailer, how is Rockstar upping their game from Red Dead 1 to Red Dead 2 based on some of the previous stuff we saw? Trees. Trees! So many trees. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I, I think that it is, it is, uh, there is a degree of truth to that, though, even though I do say it in jest. Um, you know, we, we, there is a whole area in Red Dead 1 called Tall Trees, but outside of, of that area of the West Elizabeth sort of range... Nature, like yes, Mexico and and what is essentially Texas, the New Austin State area, like Armadillo and everything else, um, e- even the sort of swampy land where Thieves Landing lies, um, all all feels not one note, but it's all very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, there are of course different hues to in the palette, and you know, like McFarland's Ranch is slightly different from Armadillo, which is proper desert. But I think when I look back in my memory at Red Dead. 
by and large, what I see is the the armadillo, the rocky desert and cliffs, and then okay. Mexico, the big, flat, sandy, dusty mm-hmm. plains, and then a little bit of the, the kind of cold mountains and open fields. Um, I think the biggest, not the biggest, but one of the things that struck me the most when I first saw uh, even just the trailer was how varied in so many different ways the environments were. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they released that first trailer back in 2017, mm-hmm. um, I think the one shot that really did it for me was when uh, you saw a, a farmer leading his horse past the fence with a, with a deer slung over the back uh, in this, you know, very, it was very much like McFarland's ranch. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of lowlands, some small trees, light brush, brush and shrubs. Uh, but then it swapped over to the Louisiana swamp. Okay. And I was, I was like, oh, okay. And then it swapped over to icy mountains. And then it swapped over to like really incredibly picturesque, like Appalachian forest. And, you know, again, the first Red Dead is not unvaried. Like, there's a bunch of different biomes in it. Yeah. But I really can't wait to explore that type. Well, uh, there's uh, many different areas with the rock star touch. Yeah. Uh, um, well, I mean, that's the American West, a place of ridiculous diversity. It, it took me a while until I moved out here I didn't understand. Because the East has wonderful diversity. But you can drive for hundreds of miles in one direction and see like three or four terrain types. Yeah. Uh, you have the kind of the, what my wife calls the big top broccoli mountains, which are mm-hmm. pretty much anything in the Appalachian range uh, yeah. up from the Poconos it's down to Georgia. It's just all oak trees, just as yeah. far as you can see. Yeah, oaks or pines, yeah. uh, generally speaking. And you, anywhere in the south, you know, you get down to the red clay kind of plateaus down yep. to the coastal sand land like that. Yeah. And yes, there's some very... But every 50 miles in the west, whatever direction you travel, the world Completely changes. Yeah. It's weird. I mean, even even driving for two hours. Yeah. Um, I got out of San Francisco for a little bit a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, we went through the bay, which is this incredibly lush really nice. I mean, obviously overpopulated and overbuilt at this point, um, but beautiful like redwood and sequoia forests and then over one single hill and then you're in this like vast sprawling green field of wine country. Granted, everything was on fire, but yeah. then you were in, you know, sort of almost a barren deserty area and then you're back in the mountains and then you're back in the desert. Yeah. Um, it's mad. And then you're in the high desert and yeah. then you're in, you're in a mountain valley. And, they, and this can all happen within a couple hours. It's yeah. crazy. And they got, they nailed that. So that's one way it's improved. How else do, did you see signs of improvement? I, I, I what, what popped up? I mean, I feel like it, it all goes back to that notion of fidelity. Okay. Um, I Red Dead Redemption for me, the original was a great gaming experience, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm someone who, you know, now going back and replaying it, I've come to appreciate games that try and, not force a shitload of realism, okay. Um, but who take the time to to make those little realistic touches. So, like the fact that we're seeing an inventory system where you have to be more conscious of the gear that you'll have on you, of the weapons and the items in your satchel, um, as opposed to just having a giant wheel pop up and you can pull one of thirty six guns. Out of yeah, you're talking about the gun switch in the trailer. I mean, we I'm, t- I'm talking about the, the, the weapon switching. I'm talking about the notion of, you know, you can have basically one, maybe two long arms on your person and a sidearm. Yeah. Beyond that, you have to, whatever you want, you have to keep on your horse. Um, and so even in that case, like, we might not even be able to carry 
two long arms. Yeah. Uh, we might have to just leave one on the horse. Which is very realistic. Of course. And, yeah, but I not just realistic. Carry but 40, 30 pounds worth of guns. Yeah. but And not just realistic, but maybe, I mean, there is something kind of ridiculous to being this, like, uh, to steal a phrase from, I, I think it was Jeremy Parrish, this Katamari of death. Uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, very become, uh, that's very accurate. That's very accurate. who said that. Um, or the, the part in, if you've ever seen um, uh, uh, Metal Wolf Chaos, when you open not. up the the mech suits like, like, and you see every gun you have, and there's just like 40 of them on wheels on your shoulders. Good. So it's a very Good. video game parodying moment. Awesome. Uh, there's maybe that never quite fit. With that yeah, setting, I, I don't think so. I feel like there's always that sort of clash because you've got everything else is so is so steeped in sort of that. I'll, I'll call it mythical realism because okay. it's that mythos of the old west where yeah. you've still got Marston as the lone gunslinger, you know, riding to right the wrongs of his past. Um, but it's also you know very clearly like we can look at a history book and be like, that's what that looked like. You know, we can yeah. find photos in in libraries and museums. Um, yeah, I think, I think that that's, that's super important too. I feel like honestly, it also goes back to just moving beyond the binary choice, um, beyond, you know, having Herbert Moon stumble out into the street and yell at you about something. And then you could either, you know, let the guy get away or you could track him down or you could kill Herbert Moon because he's apparently a huge racist, which we learned in Undead Nightmare, which is a bummer. Um, and now having the option to to really explore with those with those people and those characters, and I think this might be the first. I think I think the the big thing for me is that this is one of those first times where, if I'm telling you a story about the game, I don't think I'm going to use the word NPC. Okay. I don't think I'm going to tell you, hey, I found this NPC at this bar last night. I think I'm going to organically feel comfortable enough to say, I found this guy at this bar the other night. Uh. He's a really interesting person. Neat. Oh, I hope so. What about the, uh, we, we just got the, they were very poignant, you know, they said like, next time we're going to talk about that. And the show is Deadeye. Now, yeah. Deadeye has always been a source of some trepidation, uh, I think, when people discuss Red Dead. I've talked to people that tell me they never really figured out how to use level three Deadeye well. Um, okay. Which, yeah. Uh, which my, my issue with Deadeye was always the duels. Okay. The, the fact that you couldn't, at least not to my knowledge, that I ever figured out a way to do, mm-hmm. um, was to have the duel, you'd pull your gun, and unless you aimed for a pacifist zone, so like his uh, hand or his hat, you had to use all your bullets. Yeah. Every time. You had to... Yep. And Fan the hammer and off you go. Uh, it would be, have been so much easier for me to just like get the ticket up, put the reticle right here, and pull the trigger. Once. Okay. One time, that's it. He's dead. He's he one shot and dead because that's all you'd really do. I feel for me it was the the strange choice or what I thought was a strange design choice. Uh, when you first learn Dead Eye, it's just about hovering your reticule over an enemy and an X forms. You're mm-hmm. ready to fire. But when you reach higher level, well, that's Dead level Eye, two Dead Eye. Right. Okay. But when you get to level three, you're manually making yeah. the clicks. Yes. Which I found harder, and it was well, odd to me that the system got harder as you got. See, it's funny to me because the hardest level of like regular Deadeye, non-dual Deadeye for me is two. Okay. Um, because I don't necessarily want to paint that one or two guys when if I'm in a room of six people. Yeah. That's one bullet for every single one of them. Okay. I don't want to boom Deadeye, 
well, that guy has three bullets now, and that guy has three bullets now. Okie dokie. Well, oh, there okay. we go. Things didn't go quite like you like. So it was the other way around for me. I got really good at spinning around so each guy got one bullet. Like one. Right. But Two. then that like didn't translate particularly bullet. well when I had to learn to read it. And I, uh, I picked it up. Okay. And they teach you. I mean, you, you, get, you, you literally get tutored on it uh, yeah. to make a better gunfighter. But I wonder how they're going to change it. Um, obviously, some of the special abilities in GTA V built on some of the Deadeye type stuff. Yes. Uh, that time slow and built. And I wonder how I'd love to see that. Franklin's driving ability, but transferred onto a horse. How would you do it? Oh, I have no idea. I'm not a game yeah. designer. Okay. I write about them, but I'm not. <laughs> but I play one on TV. I play exactly, literally that. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, like, I, I, I say it in jest, but I feel like that would be very interesting. Like, if you did have, like, a moment where, like, so the environmental awareness skill that yeah. we have, um, they announced it uh, when it, they made the announcement of the period of bonuses. Um, you can get an item that extends your ability to use it. Uh, we saw it in action in the trailer. There's a bit uh, during the hunting segment where you see Arthur is tracking what looks like a dead moose. Um, and it sort of enters this detective mode-esque yeah. vision where most of the environment is darkened and you see like a highlighted blood trail or pheromone trail and then the body of the moose lit up in gold. And so when you see the the sort of environmental awareness thing, I'm curious if there's a way that they might consider melding that into your, your bond with your horse. Oh. Uh, so let's say... For a split second, you can activate this ability where if your horse or if the carriage that you're riding is about to careen off a cliff into a ravine or if you are in danger of hitting a train or need to like stand on your horse and jump onto something, okay, um, you can mash the sticks in and have that sort of extra dexterous control while you position yourself ever just the right way. Um, so that you don't fall off that cliff or so that you don't get hit by that train. I like that a lot. Um, I also like the idea of being able to enter a mode where I can slow down and like reach under my horse's neck and shoot. Ooh, or, that'd be fun. You know, Ooh, what, if, like what if it was the thing where like, uh, did you play Just Cause 2? Don't remember, John. There's a mechanic There's a mechanic in Just Cause 2 that I they actually took out for 3, which kind of bummed me out. Um, where you can essentially move to different parts of the car by like tapping the stick in a certain direction. So okay. like you grapple hook ah. onto the front of a car from ahead of it, and you're gonna crouch down behind the hood, like in, on the front end of the grill, and then you can shoot over the hood. At oh, the I driver. love that. Yeah. If you want, you can then swing around to the right and like climb along the driver's side of the car. It's like, what if you can do that now on your horse? Where like, if you have the option to swing under on the saddle and like shoot beneath your horse. I think that would be red because Red Dead always has been, in terms of the actual combat, largely a shooting gallery game. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, it really is, does have that approach to things. So you're just, just often dealing with very large groups of enemies that, that are felt by between one and three shots usually. Yep. And you're dealing with a large group of that. And it hinges on cover, accuracy, motion, the type mm -hmm. of weapon, the distance, et cetera. But that'd be well suited for firing underneath like that. Yeah, or being able to avoid fire by like kind of crouching on the side of your horse. Yeah. Um, and again, standing on top of your horse and T-posing to assert that. your dominance. <laughs> So that's a few ways uh, that, that Red Dead Redemption 2 may improve on Red Dead Redemption based on what we saw. I'd love to know your thoughts. You can send those mm. to mail. Uh, oh, what's that? Mm. Is that? I was agreeing with you. That oh, you were That was a yummy agreement sound. You can send your thoughts on how it might improve to mail at reddedradio.com. And if we like them, we may read them. And we appreciate you doing that. By the way, uh, don't forget that we are headed for PAX West, along yes. with some other very special guests. And you'll be able to see Red Dead Radio Live. So if you're at PAX, you're going to see it. If you're not at PAX, you're going to have to listen to it later on. But uh, 
nonetheless, I hope that you will join us there. I'm excited about that. Maybe we'll give some things away. What? Indeed. Wait, do you have things to give away? Things to give away? Can I have some things? No, you can't have any other things. Oh, what the hell? I don't even let you play cards around here. Yeah, I know. You got to stand on that horse and assert your dominance. You want to put you want to put cards. <laughs> I can't believe You're I just so fucking much bigger. did that. I may as well have just fucking dabbed. You're Christ, like a, please, you're, just fucking kill me. Are you at the Lophosaurus? Oh, that'd be awesome. If I could make my yeah, hair... Just do that. If I could make my hair go like full Kramer and just... Like, <laughs> oh, I'd love that. It's like I'm going to nedry it up. Oh, I kind of look like that. Anyways, Gary Wood is going to be back in a couple of minutes, but we'll be right back. And we're back. Uh, so through the magic of time warps, we're joined again by Mr. Gary Wood. It's almost like I never left. It is almost like you never You've left. You've always been here. <laughs> Oceania has been always here. been at war with East Asia. Oh, Lord. That's right. Very good. Very yeah. timely. Very much in the zeitgeist. It is a little in the zeitgeist. It's kind of creepy. Between uh, between Alexa and uh, and uh, the, the surveillance state and all the other terrifying uh, misinformation, there are four lights, there are five lights, things happening in the world. Mm-hmm. Seems about right. Well, that was a pleasant start to you're our discussion. You're not seeing what you're seeing. Yeah, you're not. None of this is real. Gary Wood is not sitting there. Gary, you're here in addition to your uh, your love for video games in general. Uh, you know, we talked about your Star Wars and Hollywood writing credits. You also wrote the Walking Dead season one uh, video game. I was a story consultant on season one, and I wrote one of the five episodes. That's really, really And cool. I'm also a story consultant on uh, the final season, which is coming out, I believe, next week. Yeah. Episode one. That's awesome. Yeah. That, that's very, very cool. Very excited about that. Thank so, you for making me cry. Uh, you know, Love we do that. our best. Yeah? Well, you did great. Well well cried, sir. Well well sadded. Yeah. I but sadded you up. You sadded, you really you sadded, sadded you, but good. So good. I'm going to sad you up with my love all over your body. Very good. Like I want to sad you up. Yeah. I, I want to sad you up all night. There we go. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Please help. Indeed. There's no escape, John Ryan. But yeah, you're here in addition to uh, your love of the game um, because you actually craft stories for a living. We've talked before about how Red Dead Redemption and Rockstar Games in general are among the most cinematic in the medium. Yeah. Very good storytellers. Yeah, and and they're they're they're. Their games unabashedly borrow from, lean into movies. Yeah, you know, almost to the degree in a way that that Kojima does. Not so much in the mimicry that you get from things like Police Knots, for example, or or uh, Snatcher, but more in the genre setting, the feel of something like L.A. Noire, Grand Theft Auto, the gangster movie vibe, the detective movie vibe. Oh yeah, I mean, I I feel like to be honest, like Rockstar is. As as much as I do love the Metal Gear franchise, like Rockstar is better at telling stories within a type of genre than I feel like Kojima ever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, sorry, buddy. Here to talk about uh, as we often do here in Red Dead Redemption, ye old motion pictures, Adel, etc. From mm. uh, from the perspective of somebody who writes them. Well, I would suggest just first of all that I think that um, you're right. As cinematic as as Rockstar is as a game developer, the um, the Red Dead games are probably the most influenced by the medium of cinema. Yeah. Video games in general, I think all genres, you know, draw from all kinds of things. But uh, when we think about um, the Wild West and the American frontier, what you mostly think about, your, your vision of that, when you close your eyes and see that, what do you see? You see images from movies. That's, that's what it's mostly colored by. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was, it was just at the era, at the beginning of the era of photography. There's not a lot of photography of that era. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything that we see is really, uh, when we think about the Wild West, we don't think about the historical Wild West. We think about the Hollywood Wild West. Yeah. Um, all the, you know, from the classic era Westerns all the way up to, you know, the contemporary ones in Westworld and things that we see uh, today. So, you know, 
GTA obviously very heavily influenced by you know cinematic crime dramas, Michael yep. Mann and Heat and stuff like that. Right. Um, all of their games are to some extent cinematically influenced, but I think the Red Dead, Red Dead games in general draw on cinema probably more than any other uh, game that they they are anyone. I would say that what if you think what's what video game franchise of any is the most cinematic in terms of drawing from the medium of cinema. Mm -hmm. I would suggest the Red Dead games. I agree. Uh, and, and I think that, that when you look at that, that, it's an unabashed and blatant and even proud inspiration. Yeah, right? and I, it's oh, a yeah. homage. Yeah, you're draw, crossing into Mexico, that moment right, that we, we covered that last week, is practically a movie scene lived out somehow interactively. I have the yeah. worst story about that, by the way. Uh -oh. Expound. The worst anecdote about crossing over into Mexico. So I played Red Dead Redemption and I loved it. I loved it to bits. And after I was done playing, I would get involved in conversations with people and they would always say, oh my God, that bit where you cross into Mexico. What a moment. And I would say, I, yeah, I guess. It didn't really, it wasn't a standout moment for me. And like, really, seriously? I was like, yeah, it was good. I mean, it was cool to go into Mexico, but I don't remember it being like a drop dead moment. And I said, but when, but when that music kicks in, that song, and I was like, what song? And they were like, what do you mean? The song, the, the acoustic guitar and the whole thing. I was like, I, I, I didn't get that. And something happened in my game. I, so I went into YouTube and I pulled it in, Red Dead Crossing into Mexico. And this beautiful acoustic guitar kicks in, you know, far away, the whole song. And I was like, what the, what the shit? That didn't happen for me. Oh, no. Something glitched. Was it just a bug? Or Something glitched? glitched or I got on and off the You're horse the at the wrong time. Was the show who's had that experience. So it wasn't not, just, thank well, God, it wasn't just me. They got off their horse. Yeah. They, and they, that, like, ended So the I was sequence. talking to someone about it, and they said, did you get on and off the horse, maybe? I said, I, I don't know. I don't remember. All I know is I didn't hear that song until I played the YouTube clip long after I finished oh, the game. Oh, I was robbed. Robbed of one of the great moments in video gaming. Yeah, that stinks. I hate that for you. I think it was it Tina sucks. that got off her horse yeah. and broke it, right? And then, and then you had the same experience there. I've heard, I read, I don't remember. You got to stay on your horse. There's a part stay of stay on your horse and drink your milk. Your yeah. I don't remember whose account I was reading. But somebody <laughs> was talking about how uh, they got jumped by a cougar in the middle of that sequence. Good. Um, so that they, they uh, they're crossing into Mexico and then in the middle of the song, a cougar knocked them off their horse. Aww. But all oh, the worst. That's, yeah. they, look, if you have to have it ruined, that's the best way to have it's it It's so far, so far. Ah! Yeah. Like, oh my God, cougar. Ah! You yeah. have died. Um, that is a great song. That's on my, it's, to this day, remains on my uh, uh, playlist. I often just listen to that song. Oh yeah, song. there's a couple of tunes from the Red Dead soundtrack yeah, on my yeah. playlist. But there's so many moments that are sentiment inspire, uh, inspired in homages from from the blatant, like the, the Gatling gun at Fort Mercer from the mm -hmm. Josie Wales, to, to the Mexico crossing, to how many different standoff scenes are, are drawn from great film. But Gary, I, I wanted to know about the films that, uh, that have moved you in the Western genre and uh, how you see those feeding into Red Dead. My favorite Westerns of all time. Um, I mean, my, my, so my favorite Western of all time is Once Upon a Time in the West. Ah! A movie I have tried so hard to like and never succeeded. You don't in like liking. it? No, but I really want to hear why you do. Well, I would, the first 10 minutes alone are among the greatest mo minutes in all of cinema history. Tell folks why. So it's, you could never make them. Funny enough, I got into a conversation about this recently. Not, not recently, it was a while ago. But with James Mangold, who is a very well-known film director, and he directed the remake of 310 to Yuma and is, is a lover of Westerns. Yeah. And we talked about um, Once Upon a Time in the West. And I said, do you think that you could make a movie like that? Could anybody make a movie like that today mm -hmm. that is so 
deliberately paced. Uh-huh. And, and by deliberately paced, I mean slow. slow it is a slow-ass slow movie. Slow and boring was, was kind of my take. As on many it, yeah. of the Sergio Leone movies are. Um, but this one is particularly languid. Uh-huh. And it just takes its time. And it is a very, very long movie. And yeah, there are probably parts that you could just as easily fast forward through. But it builds to, you know, it sets up a central question. Who is the man with the harmonica? Uh-huh. And what is he all about? What does he want? And at the very end of the movie, you finally realize why it is that he's after Henry Fonda. Uh-huh. Um, but the open, just the opening 10 minutes alone are among my favorite uh, scenes in all of cinema history. Whether you've got the three bad guys the killers that are waiting at the train station and the credits are rolling and like there's a whole sequence that's maybe a minute long of one of the bad guys just trying to brush wave a fly away from this buzzing around his face he's just like trying to get rid of it Mm -hmm. and it's slow but you're going like what is happening something has to happen right the rules of cinema tell us this has to go somewhere (laughs) this scene is not going to end with them just waiting there and then the train comes and they all get up and they wait and you go, okay, who's, someone's, someone's on this train. Yeah. And you've been waiting a long time for this train. Like you're getting impatient. Like where's this goddamn train? Well, I yeah. think that's kind of the idea. The train shows up. They all kind of get ready to go. They go for their guns. They kind of pace them. They, they spread themselves out because there's going to, okay, so there's going to be some kind of confrontation because yeah. they're getting ready for this tactically. Bunch of people get off the train. It's nobody they're interested in. The train starts pulling away. They, oh, maybe he wasn't on that train. And they start walking away like, what the hell? He wasn't on the train. We better go back and tell the boss. But then the train pulls out a frame and there he is. He, he got off the got other off side the of the side train. Of the train yeah. Charles Bronson, the man with the harmonica. Probably one of the most badass characters ever in a movie that's not played by Clint Eastwood. <laughs> and he has that harmonica and he plays it. But it's also part of the soundtrack. Yeah. Man with the harmonica is one of the great themes from the... From the and I would say possibly the greatest Ennio Morricone soundtrack. I, there now, are, good, I, I mean, there with, are many great ones. I'm with you that Man of the Harmonica is great. That, that's the Exc- I mean, the there are many great, the Ecstasy of Gold and you know, obviously I all of good, the band, the other. There's the so many great. The Ecstasy of Gold wins it. But for me, it's the Man with the Harmonica. And the version of it that plays in the final duel with Henry Fonda just gets me every time. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking to Mangold about it and saying, when you, that, that, that gunfight at the end is just the two of them standing there looking at each other for like five minutes. And in any other movie, you would be so restless and like, come on, is something going to happen here? Because we're used to movies being like this now, like paced really, really fast. Everything post MTV, uh, advent of MTV is cut super fast. Prior to MTV, 60s, 70s, early 80s, these movies were really slow and Mm -hmm. they took their time and they were deliberately paced. But what what transports you through it, the reason why you're not restless, even even though it is aggressively slow, is that music just keeps you entranced. It it's really just, does It's help. hypnotic, that music. But that opening scene, the train pulls away. It's my all-time favorite exchange of dialogue in film history. And by the way, this movie is beloved. When you go to Lucasfilm yeah. and you go to their lobby and you go down to where they actually work at Lucasfilm, they have pictures up from various classic, famous George, George Lucas's favorite movies. The elevator's open. The very first thing you see is this massive tableau. It's the entire walk from this scene. Mm-hmm from Once Upon a Time in the West. Yeah, cool. Charles Bronson in the background, the three killers in the foreground, separated by the train tracks. I'm getting chills just thinking about it. i got to go home and watch <laughs> it again. It's so good. It's a beautiful scene. I agree. And um, Charles Bronson says, uh, it's, it's very little dialogue, so I remember it vividly. It's the three killers and the three horses. And uh, Charles Bronson says, um, I think, where's Frank? 
and they say like Frank couldn't make it. You know, he sent us. Oh, Frank sent us. That's all they say. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautifully a beautiful economy of screenwriting. Never use three words if you can just use one. Where's Frank? Frank sent us, and he looks and sees the horses. Did you bring a horse for me? And the guy looks back. Uh, looks like we're shy one horse. And Charles Bronson just shakes his head. You brought two too many. And you just know you're all fucking dead. Yeah, yeah. And of course, there's that, there's that moment where they wait. They go for the guns. Charles Bronson just wipes all three of them out. Yeah. Yeah. He only needed one horse because he takes one of those three horses and rides it into town. And it's just, for me, it's everything that is perfect and beautiful and poetic about Westerns. I love, love that scene. The rest of the film, yeah, you can kind of take it or leave it all the way to the end when you were like, there's a whole scene of like, why is he after Henry Fonda, who's a complete yeah. bastard. Like the first, Henry Fonda's first scene in the movie. Oh, yeah. He wipes out an entire family. And Henry Fonda was a good looking guy. But you, you mostly remember Henry Fonda was like an older actor. Yeah. But he's got these piercing blue eyes, but he's this evil, evil force of nature. And the, and the moment at the end when he finally confronts Charles Bronson and you realize why Charles, why Charles Bronson's had this grudge, this vendetta, against him all these years ever since he was a young boy yeah beautifully done so that's my all-time favorite movie once upon a western my all-time favorite western once upon a time in the west now nick's uh nick scarpino from uh kind of funny loves that film also and brought it up uh, originally i am i agree with you in the first 10 minutes uh I, you can go home and watch the movie i'll go home and watch the first 10 minutes and we'll both feel good and we'll both that's what sometimes sometimes i will just put on the first 10 minutes yeah. That's all you need. I feel like I need my, the, the, the tanks running dry. I need a little bit of impetus. I need, I, need an, I need a vitamin B shot of like pure adrenaline right into my butt cheek. What's it going to be? It's going to be the first 10 minutes of Once Upon a Time in the West. So where do you see that translated into what Rockstar did with Red Dead? Well, I mean, I think the whole Leone oeuvre is so obviously a, 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 a primary strand of the, of the um, Red Dead DNA. Right, it's it, the, the, all all of the, the, those Italian westerns. Mm-hmm. People, I mean, people people know the term spaghetti western. They don't often know that that's the reason why they are called spaghetti westerns. They're all shot and filmed. They're Italian films. They're not yeah. Hollywood movies. Right. They're mostly Italian films. Italian actors, mostly filmed in Spain by Italian production yeah. companies. Yes, that's yeah. right. And in fact, at yeah. one point, um, we were going to go to um, when we were making the Book of Eli. The Hughes brothers, who are huge fans of the Sergio Leone, and we even have a Leone-style shootout in the street with Denzel Washington yeah, right. in the movie. At one point, when we were, when all things were possible, I remember I remember Albert Hughes saying, "You know what would be great? Let's go to Spain and shoot it where they shot the Leone movies, mm. and like have that that vibe." Wow. And we we ended up shooting it in um, New Mexico, but uh, at one point we were going to go to Spain and shoot it, and that would just as a tribute to Leone, and that would have been amazing. Cool. But yeah, clearly, I mean, I think I think the, all of the, not just the Leone movies, but the Eastwood movies in general, I think probably inform um, uh, the um, the Red Dead movies more than any. And I, and I would say some of the later ones, you know, Unforgiven obviously is a huge influence yeah. on everything that happens in the Western world now, whether it be Westworld, whether it be any contemporary westerns, whether it be Red Dead, uh, that's become like a hugely totemic. Sure, that, uh, that film. story of that story of regret and and your past coming back, not being able to completely yeah. escape it. Yeah. When you talk about the, the Leone stuff, I agree with you on this and John, yeah, you're oh, a fan yeah. of these too. where specifically, what do you want to call out in red dead? That's Sergio Leone, because we really haven't dived into Leone all that much in this show other than to talk about Lee Van Cleef's, you know, Derringer popping out <laughs> in a few dollars more. We have not talked about good, the bad and the ugly yet. We've not talked much about once upon a time in the West. Yeah. Where in red dead do we find Leone? 
Besides the poncho. I mean, for me, it's every time you ride into town after gaining a certain amount of notoriety and some asshole is like, I'm going to challenge this motherfucker to a duel. And then you have that great moment where you're, it's, it's just like the, the, that nice two shot of you, your target, and there's that really sort of low, quiet moment. Mm-hmm. So and, much, so much of our, so much of our lexicon when we think about westerns comes from Leone. Like I forget which movie it is now. I think maybe it's Pale Rider. I can't remember which one. Where, um, or maybe it's a good band, The Ugly, or for a few dollars more. Who knows? It's one of these. They all blend together at a while. But when he, um, when Eastwood first rides into town, the very first thing that happens is the Undertaker starts sizing him yeah. up for a coffin because yeah. it's that kind of town, and it's great visual storytelling. I would suggest that rather because I think Rockstar is too smart to like ape individual moments they wouldn't rip off that once upon a right. time in the west shootout because you just right. go oh they just did once upon a time in the west They're, it's it's smarter than that it's more in the in the overall dna of it all yeah uh, and i would suggest when i talked about that deliberate pacing like i would say that red as much as it's convenient often to be able to fast travel around red dead's account the beauty of red dead is a game where it's so beautiful that you almost don't want to smart travel smart fast travel you want yeah. to make the journey you want to travel across that country. You, you want to take it. your time. I, I, I abhor fast travel in Red Dead. I avoid it whenever possible. And, and, and to build on that, a lot of people talk about, and I understand why they say this, uh, that maybe Mexico was not their favorite part of the game. Um, hmm. Mexico is my favorite part of hmm. Red Dead Redemption. Interesting. Uh, I actually really, and it's because it's big and empty and quiet. And Fair. it feels, and it also like, feels, yeah. it also feels like another country. Yes, it's, yeah. and it's, it feels like another country, and it does kind of have that Sergio Leone deserty vibe to it. And I think that's where, that's where you get the poncho. That's where you become the man with no name. That's where you're the man out of your element. Uh, yeah. That and and those are the parts of the game that I really, really felt just just pulled into. I think maybe because some of the stonework reminds me of the Spanish backdrops that you that you find in uh, in the spaghetti westerns. Yeah. Because uh, you'll have those, a lot of the adobe set up in that part of the game. I really love that. Another thing I love that they borrow is the simple, the, the mission ending, the dwang. Oh, right. Like, that's straight out of. I mean, that's the thing for me is like, I feel like what I, if I'm making one-to-one comparisons of Red Dead 2, other western you know media it's most of the time going to come from the score uh, for me that's mm. that steel guitar with horns yeah and i would say i would say that morricone is an even greater influence on westerns than leone himself was oh mm-hmm. yeah because that's the you know as soon as you hear that twang you just know right away yeah. okay I'm, I'm back in the old west yeah i'm probably in mexico somewhere i'm shit out of luck yeah, you know the Mexican yeah. army's on my tail. You it just has that feel to it. If someone plays me a rusty harmonica, I'm like, okay, cowboy time. Great. Yeah, yeah, and of course the rusty harmonica is from Once Upon a Time yeah, in the exactly. West. But I would suggest that over, it's less about those specific. You know, there's twangs and specific. You go, oh, I got that. You just get that little shiver of like Western yeah. Yeah. feel. But for me, and it's only video games can do this. It'd be very difficult to do this in a contemporary Western now because you've got to go again that post MTV pacing. You got to go move. You got to move. You got to move. Mm-hmm. But when, because you know, you've got two hours, and you've got to pack a bunch of stuff in. The old Leone movies were more like three, three and a half hours, right. and they could get away with it back then. The only medium we can get away with that kind of deliberate pacing now is video games, 40, yeah. 50, 60 hours. Yeah. And so if you want to just sit in the same way that Leone would happily, again, just five, six minutes at the beginning of Once Upon a Time in the West, just waiting at the train station, just, just feeling like you're living in that world, just drinking in the ambiance of the old West, only Red Dead 
And only game, only video games can now simulate that in a way that I think contemporary cinema no longer can. Yeah, I yeah. mean, Unforgiven's probably the closest I can think of to a contemporary Western that's slow-paced, and there's still right. a lot going on in right. Unforgiven, yeah. uh, even though it's... I agree with you that that, uh, that fundamental shift in, in pacing and storytelling... Um, I'm not entirely sad about that change. I, I, I think there are virtues to both faster and slower cuts. Um, I love... Uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But I've also watched the extended cut, and I'm really glad they cut everything out. That I mean, even the regular cut is pretty damn long. Exactly, yeah. and I'm like, you know what? The regular cut is about as long as I can handle. That's what, that's my problem with much of the time in the West is it's oh. just a little. Too I'm gonna go. I gotta go back and watch all these westerns. What about um? What anything on the silver screen, Gary? For you, when you say the silver screen, what are we I'm referring talking about? To? Anything in black and white? Anything? Uh, Anything that goes back, going back into the 30s, 40s? No, 50s. I kind of go the other way. I'm actually more of a fan of cont- more contemporary westerns. Okay. I mean, I, I, I do like, um, I mean, I've gone back over the years and watched like old episodes of uh, Gunsmoke mm-hmm. and Have Gun, Will Travel yeah. and uh, The Lone Ranger and stuff like that. That I have a harder time with, with you know, just how ridiculous that was in terms of the white hats and the black hats yeah. of it all. Yeah. I think as we've, as we've, evolved as a culture and developed a better historical understanding of what the old west was we've made we make better westerns have you ever watched uh the man who shot liberty valance yes yeah that one i enjoy because i feel like it's a uh, deconstruction like it's right. effectively john ford right. taking his entire life's body of work and then tearing it apart I've, um, I've never seen High that. Noon I would say is probably my favorite from the black and white era uh, talk about High Noon for a minute because we haven't anybody talk about that yet hmm. so High Noon of course um it's one uh, of my favorite movies Gary Cooper uh, in in uh, a classic role, it's very it, it, the beauty of it, of course. And now you talk about movies from the era of westerns being longer. Yeah. that's one that's actually very short. Right. And the beauty of, it is, of course, it plays out mostly in real time. Yeah. The time when they say like, oh, well, the train's gonna the train carrying Frank Miller, the guy that just got out of jail is coming is coming now to kill Marshall Kane, um, is gonna be here in like an hour and twenty minutes. That train's gonna be here in an hour and twenty minutes. Yeah. By your by your watch, and you'll see like clocks in the background, and they will match up with the yeah. time yep. that's passed. So you're yep. watching an eighty some minute story play out in eighty some minutes. It's yeah, great. Love and it's and, it, and and I love movies that are simple and have a, a basic premise. Yeah, Marshall Kane put this guy away years ago. I think he killed his brother. I think he killed yeah. Frank Miller's brother. Put him put him all away. And uh, Frank Miller's now out of jail. I think either he broke out or he's finally been let out. And he's and he, and they know. He gets on the train and the guy at the train station wires ahead to the town mm-hmm. uh, that he's coming to kill Marshall Kane. Hmm. So the whole movie is you waiting for that to happen. And he has to decide. It's such a classic kind of Western, like what, what defines a man, in, you know, certainly in the old-fashioned um, imagery of it. Is he going to run or is he going to stand his ground? Right, because and, it's his wedding day. And it's his wedding. Do not forsake me, oh my darling, Lord. on this our wedding day. I, right? Uh, so, I, I've never been happier. <laughs> Than I really? am hearing Gary Wittes sing the High Noon song. <laughs> so as a class, everyone Sorry, knows the song, even if they don't know it's from High Noon. And of course, his wife is a Quaker. She abhors violence. Right. And she wants him to run. Yeah. Right. And in fact, at one point, he does leave. And then he turns, he realizes that if I'm going to be any kind, I can't, I, I can never show my face in the Old West again if I run from this man. I have to go back and face him. And then, of course, the third act is, is the shootout with Frank Miller and his gang. Just classic. Which ultimately, she... Because she loves no, him but, so but, but, she is for, She is forced to, to, to stand up as well. That's going on my list. Spoilers. Oh, okay. Sorry. You know, wait, if you've not seen High Noon, yeah, I the Statue of Limitations of that one ended 50 years ago. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was only alive for like two-thirds of that. But you know these films are available. 
They're yeah. widely available in a variety of format. But no, in addition to Gary Cooper, you have, of course, Grace Kelly, Princess Grace. That's uh, right. Lady Princess Grace. Yeah, running around. She's a great character. It's a neat movie. Uh, it's, it's so concise and so tight. And the character archetypes are wonderful. It's a great movie. Also referenced in Die Hard where Hans Gruber inappropriately uh, uh, attributes Gary Cooperdom uh, to, who, who's he say, he re- does not run out into the sunset with Grace Kelly? Yes. Yeah. Yes, and that's right. John McClane reminds him it was Gary Cooper. Roy Rogers. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah, but that's not how it Gary works. Cooper asshole. That's, that's right. right. Yeah. yeah. I love your American accent. Oh, I'm not going to do it too it's, often. I don't think I'm good at it. We've gotten it twice so far. Yeah, it's pretty right, great. So. Uh, Three yeah. times if you include it at the very beginning. So yeah. I think that uh, that that probably does it for uh, for our movie discussion there. I, I, I want to throw one one in one more though. My well, personal favorite that I don't think gets enough credit. What's that? Uh, and I love it because in weirdly we talked about um, video games that are inspired by uh, movie westerns okay I have a favorite it's a modern for me a modern classic very underrated and in, in, in a strange way almost feels the other way around it feels um, in some way almost um, uh, informed by video games and graphic novels and comics and other cool stuff what's that Sam Raimi's the quick and the dead well, is a I'll favorite be. of mine. Okay. I think it's severely underrated. But if you want to just have a good time with a Western, check that movie out. Right. You and Scarpino have very similar like film. And it's uh, got everyone I can't in even it. Tell the difference, to be it's honest. got everyone. Yeah. It's got like a who's who of actors right before they blew up in Like it. who? Well, Sharon Stone. Okay. Well, um, Gene Hackman had blown up long before, obviously. Yeah. Oh, but Gene yeah, Hackman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio yeah. in a very early baby-faced role. Okay. Yep. Russell Crowe, mm-hmm. before anyone knew who he was. Uh, Lance Henriksen, chewing the scenery. Oh, man. He oh, my so God. Well. So many great actors in that movie. And it is, and it's, the beauty of it is, it's simply the whole premise of the film is Sharon Stone, it rips off at the once upon a time in the West in the sense that she's coming for revenge. And you find out at the very end why she's been looking right. for revenge yeah. all her life. Like what's, she's kind of the woman with the harmonica, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but the whole premise of the town where Gene Hackman is the corrupt sheriff is he stages a quick draw gunfight competition in the street. It's a contest. So it basically allows them to have a movie, which is nothing but awesome gunfights in the street. (laughs) And it's so well done. So I, I watched this when I was much younger, didn't like it. Haven't watched it since. I would say revisit. Okay. I will. I think I watched it once on like sci-fi very, very. It's a it's a favorite, and you can tell Sam Raimi is just having so much fun with it. I really oh, might enjoy this more now. Uh, yeah, because I I bought into like the Briscoe County Junior kind of odd offbeat thing. Right. Anything with Gene Hackman is generally worth watching. Yeah, and everyone is, is chewing. It? Every everybody knows the movie that they're in, and just chewing up the scenery. Good. They yeah, love that's it. That's good. good. Wait, wait, what's a bad Gene Hackman movie? There's got to be some. Welcome to Mooseport. I haven't seen Welcome to Mooseport. It's him and Ray Romano running for mayor of a small town. He's an old president. It's fucking terrible. That actually kind of sounds like Here's everything I want Premise, life. delightful. Premise, premise, great. Casting choices, honestly not terrible. Gene mm-hmm. Hackman, like anyone who's made a lot of movies, has made some bad movies. Of but course. I've said it before and I'll say it again. We don't talk enough about Gene Hackman oh. and how amazing he is the and all Hack the amazing Man. films that he's been in. Oh, yeah. yeah, he's phenomenal. He's one of the all-time greats. And he just kind of quietly retired. Yeah. He doesn't yeah. make movies anymore. Uh, he uh, he turned down the role of Hannibal Lecter. 
uh, right around the time. Oh, that, yeah. wouldn't you have loved to have seen that version? Yeah, I think it'd be fascinating. It'd be a very different depiction, but it could yeah. have worked. Yeah, uh, what I've read was that he decided he did not want to get in that character's headspace at that point in his career. I think that's hmm. fair enough. Some yeah. actors, it's like Will Graham in Manhunter, right? Or Red Dragon, like to oh, understand yeah. him, yeah. you really got to get inside his brain and that's a place you don't want to stay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he, he just kind of was reaching the point in his career where he knew it was kind of winding down. Sort yeah, of, who needs just, it? Uh, yeah. And then, like he, and then he sees the, the guy uh, win an Oscar and probably thinks, oh shit. <laughs> I like the one with the Manhunter reference first before Red Dragon, well played. Well, yes, well I, man- I prefer no, Manhunter to Red Dragon. Manhunter was not directed by Brett Ratner. Of course. You know. yeah. Manhunter is a good movie. Yeah. It's I know, a I know movie. we're well off the Western Trail right now. For movies now, wherein you see a man roll down a hill in a flaming wheelchair, uh, it's a good movie. To be fair, Ed Norton makes a fine Jodie Foster. Um, and Brian yeah. Cox was a was a ter- <laughs> Brian Cox is often now forgotten, of course, as Hannibal Lecter, but was yeah. the first Hannibal Lecter and was a great one. Yeah, yeah. he did a really good job. At it. I stole that that joke from somebody I don't know who, but yeah, that Brian Cox is really good man. Yeah. I always like, and I always like the production design. His, I know they went all out with the cell and the glass front and made it look like Jodie Foster was going down to a dungeon. I always felt that they kind of overdid it. You know, in the book, it's not a glass. Yeah. Uh, no, it's, bars. It's, it's it's bars with a net behind the bars, yeah. but then that doesn't work well for um, cinema. So they came up with that plexiglass wall instead. But uh, I always like just that that if you remember Manhunter, Brian Cox's Hannibal Lecter is just in that white mm-hmm. antiseptic cell, yeah. and it's just gr- fluorescent lights, and it's just grim. Yeah. It's not a place you'd want to be. A Manhunter is uh, absolutely worth revisiting. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, too. good I movie. Mean, you know what? We'd be so if you're a fan of Inagana De Vida then that movie is going to please you for the last 20 minutes. And if you're not, you're not going to like the last 20 minutes of that film. So I, I can't, I can't let this go, Gary, while we got you here, because this is where I was going to steer us before, before you brought up that. But before we all leave and go home, you, we joked about it before you wrote a star war. Um, yes. One and, more of the stars and star Wars is the, the perhaps the quintessential non-Western Western. I'd really like to hear you talk a little bit about, how Star Wars exemplifies and embraces the Western mythos in its production design and storytelling. I don't know if I can really speak that intelligently. If you had George here, I'm sure he could talk about it brilliantly. I, you well, know, I mean, I, he's welcome to come. If you'd I, like. I know, I'm sure you'd be very happy to have him, wouldn't you? Yeah, I'd be as I'd a be guest. Right. Yes, and his flannel shirt and everything fits right into that Western theme. If you can arrange that, you know, let I, me I, let, I, let me make a few calls and see what I can do. In the perfect. meantime. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things I had to do when I uh, started work on Rogue One was really study Star Wars. It's like if you're being asked to build a high-performance sports car, um, the first thing you do is is take a high-performance sports car and strip it and reverse engineer it and try to figure out what makes this car run so well, what makes yeah. it such a beautiful ride. So we did spend some time um, stripping the Star Wars films, reverse engineering them, trying to figure out what what it, what's in the DNA of the Star Wars films. And we didn't need every part because we knew that we weren't necessarily dealing with the Jedi or the Force or some of the kind of the more mythic elements of Star Wars. It was more of a boots on the ground, um, you know, war espionage kind of movie. Mm-hmm. We still found ways to get the Jedi and the Force in there in kind of background ways, you know, the Temple of the Wills and all that kind of great stuff. Um, but for the most part, we were really dealing with, the, you know, the kind of the Empire and the Rebellion. So, yeah. um, but certainly when you look at Star Wars, it draws on many, many influences, you know, predominantly, you know, the, the, the kind of the Kurosawa samurai films, the Jedi are essentially kind of the, the samurai of the Star Wars universe. Mm-hmm. Um, very much. It's funny. I was going back and watching old um, Flash Gordon series, the old Buster Crab, black and white Flash yeah. Gordons. And when you watch those, you really appreciate just how much 
George drew on those old Flash Gordon serials. You know, the Flash Gordon movies yeah. had opening crawls that crawled up the screen in 3D and had the, you know, what we call the, you know, the, the, the iris and the star wipes. And, you know, the shot didn't just cut. It would have a wipe yeah. or an iris or a, or a kind of a weird star um, edit. The Flash star Gordon movies, all the, time. the Flash Gordon movies basically invented those star wipes and yeah. George borrowed them because he loved them so much. Um, and of course the Western, you know, when you go to Moss Eisley, when you go into the cantina, that's a saloon. Come mm-hmm. on. All that's missing is the, is the swinging doors. Yeah. And Han Solo sitting in the corner is, of course, kind of the archetypal gunslinger with a heart of gold. And so, George, part of the reasons why the Star Wars movies, I think, are so um, universally loved and why they feel like they get us right where we live, right in the fields, is because it drew on so many classic influences that have always done that. Like, you know, the classic Kurosawa movies, like westerns like classic kind of flash gordon space adventure and the hero's journey is baked into all of that so he really did make find a a brilliant way of taking all of these kind of classic ingredients that everybody loves and out of that confecting this amazing new thing that felt familiar and uh, but fresh at the same time so rogue one is fundamentally a war movie Um, i look at it as you know we so if you look at the movies that we referenced um, we referenced a lot of the old classic war movies like Where Eagles Dare, The Dirty Dozen, Guns and Navarone, Kelly's Heroes, more contemporary things like Zero Duck 30 was a big um, uh, reference point for us. So yeah, those, those kind of films. Men, classic kind of men on a mission, commando kind of war movies. Yeah, you're, you're just throwing movie after movie after movie I love yeah. out there right. right now. I'm so happy. So how did you, where did the Western seep in to, to your storytelling? So you said you took the sports car apart and saw the Western stuff. Not, did that, did I don't that? know how much Western influence there really is in Rogue, okay. um, because I think the Western influence belongs more to uh, the scoundrel Han Solo side of Star Wars. Yeah. I, th- I, th- I think there are, there are three essential components. There's the classic war movie, the classic samurai movie and the classic western yeah. and you put those three things together and, and and run it through a flash gordon sci-fi blender yeah and you get something that looks a bit like star wars and again we didn't use everything in the recipe list because again we didn't need the mythos of the jedi against yeah. in the background but we knew we weren't making a saga film we were making a movie that was specifically about the battle of the rebellion versus the empire and so by focusing in on that we were able to, I think, to give it more shades of gray. One of the things I love about the movie is it really shows you kind of the, comp- the moral and ethical compromises that even the good guys, yeah. one of the very yeah. first things that you see one of the heroes in the movie do is have to, he has to kill someone. Yeah. Because if he doesn't kill him, they're both going to get busted by the Empire. And you see kind of how that costs him a little piece of his soul. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether you call them freedom fighters or terrorists, the rebellion are out for good. They want to free the galaxy. But it's not... I think, you know, in the original Star Wars, it's very white hats and versus white hats versus black hats. And what we saw in Rogue One, Gareth was always very interested in finding the shades of gray in between. Yeah. And that's when it, so when I was talking earlier about how I prefer more contemporary Westerns to the old fashioned ones. The old fashioned ones were white hats versus black hats, cowboys versus Indians. We now know that that's a very reductive way of looking at what was going on in the old West back in the time, back in the day. Um, and we've now, I think, you know, in the post-Unforgiven era, we found ways to make Westerns that are much more sympathetic, more realistic, more gritty, uh, mm-hmm. more grounded and more real. Um, and I think that's what we tried to do with Rogue One was make a movie that by focusing in on one component of the Star Wars mythos, 
uh, we were able to blow that out and kind of add those shades of gray and make it feel a lot more grounded. I really do like uh, once uh, westerns that go back and re-examine the four yellow. I was talking earlier about uh, the man who shot Liberty Valance, yeah. which I love for that reason. Another one you were talking about movies that are, are available, or most movies being readily available. The Searchers at this point is not available on any streaming service. Is it not? I, if it is, I can't find it. And it's driving me crazy because that's one of the great... You know what? It's on Filmstruck. Is that where it if is? If you want to sign up for Filmstruck, which is the kind of the cineast Netflix. Yeah. If you want just classic, classic movies, you get all the Criterion Collection and Filmstruck. Also, um, they just had a John Ford retrospective on Filmstruck. So I would suggest anyone out there right now that really wants to go on a kind of Western crash course yeah. of classic Western filmmaking, John Ford, we haven't talked about at all uh, this um, uh, this podcast, and we really, really should. Stagecoach, uh, Rio Grande. Yep, Man Who Shot Liberty, uh, Man Who Valance, Shot Liberty Valance. Searchers. The Searchers. Have you watched Five Came Back yet? No. Uh, that's a documentary about five American directors during the Second World War. Ford's one of the five they cover. Oh, and cool. So it's all about the propaganda filmmaking part of the army. Do you ever talk about Peckinpah on this uh, podcast? We have not yet gotten to Sam Peckinpah. Okay. Well, there's, um, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, because you want to talk about Westerns that aren't. Western Straw Dogs comes to mind immediately. Um, but then, of course, you have The Wild Bunch, um, which is another, both Peckinpah movies. Yeah. And, uh, you think so Straw Dogs is a, no, like Straw Dogs is a Western. Straw Dogs is absolutely Hard movie to watch. Oh, it's, oh. Have you ever seen No, nope. brutally difficult uh, movie to it watch. It is. It's problematic right. in about 700 different ways. Oh, and that kind of difficult? Yeah, I mean, they can't even show it on television anymore. No, it's it's vicious. Yeah. Um, it's thematic. In, in, every, in every respect. But it's absolutely a Western. Um, no, you're right. It is a Western. Yeah. and, and It's uh, a modern Western. It is. Hmm. Um, it's, it kind of doubles down on that theme, actually, I mean, especially the last hour of the film. Oh, my um, God. Horrific. But it's almost impossible to watch. Yeah. Uh, Tough movie. Peck and Paul was good. All right. That of making you feel really, really uncomfortable in your seat. Yeah. Um, kind of excelled at that. Friends, uh, I think that's probably all the movie talk we can cram in tonight because Gary would have got to go home and John Ryan needs to sleep at some point. Nah, I'm fine. Fuck it. But we do have one final, very quick event here. Oh, Gary that's Wedder. right. What's every, this? Every week, the Red Dead Redemption poker tournament. Now, to be clear, because you actually Are we going to play, play a hand of poker here? Not really. Okay. I'm simply going to deal you a five-card draw hand. There's no betting. There's no option. It's just who has the best hand? It's just who has the best hand. Do I get to draw? You get to draw. One okay. Card. Yep. Okay. There's, it's pure luck. You're trying. And it's to, just who has the best hand. You're trying to beat everyone who's played before you. Oh, what's the, the current champion. high hand? Currently. You're just going to deal one hand tonight? Huh? You're just going to deal one hand tonight? No, because John Ryan, by popular acclamation... Yes. Thanks to the folks at RedDeadRadio.com over Thank on our Patreon you. page that voted. They These agreed good and second, rightly souls a second chance. who so, know justice when they see it. You're trying, to, you're trying to hit a pair of aces or better. That's what you're after. Because that's the current Doesn't, best. That, pair of aces is the high hand in, all, in all the episodes you've done? Yep. All right. Okay. All right. So, Gary. Man, in most poke, you need a pair of jacks to so even open. John. Gary. John. Gary, oh, it's just, you're, not, John. you're not dealing to yourself? No, I don't play. Okay. He's out. Dealer's too smart to, to steal play. From, uh, to steal from uh, Damon Hatfield, Bob Barker does not play The Price is Right. So. All right. This is tough. Yeah. I'm yeah. starting to see why Pair of Aces is a good hand. Yeah, right? Because uh-huh. Jared deals like an ass. And it's pure randomness. Like, there, there's no real Ugh. way to win this. All right. I'm going to take two. You're going to take two. I'm yeah. honestly, fuck it. I'm going to take three. You're going to take two. I almost, I, almost, I almost scrubbed the whole hand and just hoped for another off the top. Yeah. All right. There you go. Ah! 
Uh oh. Do we have any? Uh, do we have any wilds? Oh here? no, no wilds. No deuces. No, de- no, no. Oh come no on, wilds. give me a deuce. How many hands are we gonna play here? This is it. Just the one. Oh, just you, this you, one. Yeah, you only get to play one. That's just, All uh, right. So what do you got? All right, what do you um, got, John? Well, I asked about the deuces because I too now have a pair of aces. A pair of aces, Damn. John Ryan. I got a pair of fours. A pair of fours. Uh, uh, a pair of fours. No, it's not good enough, is it? So wait, but who has it's the, enough to bring you. Did you start John with the aces Ryan. or did you draw one? I started with one of those two. Okay. John okay. Ryan, that and is then enough. I got a second king and a two. I was really hoping deuces would be one. We almost had a flush there as well. Yeah, I know. yeah, you're very close. Really close. Enough to bring you to the top of the board. I'm genuinely... Gen- wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Can wait, we wait. play one more Who? just for fun? Wait, no, I feel like no. I can do better than four. No, so this is the problem. No. I debated for weeks that I should get to do more. But he took I'll tell you what, Gary. If you so, agree to come back on the show... Wait, was my... I, th- I, 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 I think John should deal and I want to play Jared. Oh, look at this. Uh, just no, for once, I want to see Jared gonna, put his dick in the middle. Do it even, we're going to do it even better. Okay. We're going to have a live-streamed Red Dead Radio Invitational Poker Tournament. Excellent. Can you tell that just from that one hand of poker, I got like my, my gambleaholic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my me, inner gambleaholic is like, give me one more. Give me again, Just man. one more. I want to play one more. Man. Tina Meany's already agreed to be a part of it. Okay. I will be playing in that tournament. Oh, 100%. Love, give me a marker. It's yeah. going to be there. All right. So we're going to play that. That's coming up. But What, what are the so, stakes? You know, I haven't set the stakes yet. Well, that's all I care about. I want to know what the stakes I mean, it's are. It's going to be like pride or something, but like. Well, I mean, we can't. We, you know, obviously, we don't want to play for real money, as that would be illegal to stream us playing for real money. Right. Um, oh, then we'll definitely not do that. Just play for chips. Give everyone a rack well, we'll of chips. Have, we'll definitely yeah. have a rack of chips. Yeah, uh, but, but there should be some stakes. There, there should, should be there should be prizes kind of, for for a second. Third. I was thinking about that too, but I, I feel like they ought to be moral victories of some kind. We'll figure it out. Hey, uh, Gary, John, thank you for coming in. What do you guys uh, want to plug that you're working on right now? Anything in particular? Uh, this is broadcasting a week from when we're filming but anything you want to um so future me um will still have been producing a bunch of awesome red dead content uh i'll also have just dropped some uh assassin's creed stuff that you can check out if you're super into uh historical adventures uh check out uh the previews that we've been doing for assassin's creed odyssey uh they've been bringing back some really cool systems into that game and i'm really glad to see a lot of the stuff that they're doing with it um, and then beyond that, I'm just fucking hanging out, man, being cool. Gary? I'll just plug my Twitter again, uh, at Gary yeah. Witter, at G-A-R-Y-W-H-I-T-T-A. If you go to that, that's where I plug everything else. Uh, but also, uh, the last uh, final issue, issue number six of The Last Jedi, official um, adaptation from Marvel Comics, will be out uh, next month. And then in November, we'll have a collected edition of all six issues in kind of a graphic novel, trade paperback kind of format. Tight. So. Look out for that at your local comic book store. Cool. And coming up pretty quick here, Red Dead Radio Live. That's right, from yep. PAX. Uh, so if you're going to be at the Penny Arcade Expo, you can meet us there. And we'll, uh, you're probably hearing this for the second time this episode right now. But just a reminder that uh, you can pop in and see that. Also, yep. uh, in addition to that panel, uh, if you like uh, some of the folks around here, I, I'm going to be hosting a panel there on the quest for the perfect Superman game. Uh, oh, no. uh, I've got some pretty delightful folks coming to visit there. We're going to have Cindy Goodman or Sydney Goodman from IGN, Greg Yay. Miller from Ye Old Kind of Fun. Oh, going to be popping in. Corey Barlog, the director of God of hell War. Yes, all star like panel. Hell of a panel. Damn. So it's going to be a Look at you go. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun with that. I think. I love it. Um, that should be. That well, should I'll be, be running around like a idiot trying to capture a bunch of footage so if you see me say hello and we'll high five yeah i i've got to be rude and cut you off but i also wanted to mention cat bailey from us gamer is going to be our final panelist uh oh, so very cool. i for was superman? reading down for superman yeah. i was reading down those i was like i didn't get to the last one <laughs> goodbye everybody <laughs>
Goodbye. Happy trails. <laughs> I want to thank Patreon producers Stuart Ferguson, Tom Bach, Jonathan, Austin Riley, and William Holbert for making this program possible. Thanks all.